I have read the Bible a couple times through, and I have never understood the passage of Jesus's transfiguration. And so when I got this, and Seth's like, you can preach the last week of Epiphany. And I was like, okay. And then I read it, and I was like, what am I going to say about the transfiguration? Like, I don't even know how to spell that word, you know. Um, and I, I wrote this message in a day, in a couple hours, because as soon as I dove into some commentaries and started actually looking up the significance of this, I just couldn't, I couldn't stop. It was so uh, consuming. And uh, even as he was leading the prayer and we were singing the song about um, open my eyes to see your wonder, that's what this text is. And um, when I first read Jesus' transfiguration growing up, I was like, this is all about Jesus making it clear to Peter that, um, that his way is not the best way and God's way is the best way, which it is, but that's not the significance that I'm going to take from this story. So giving you a little context, um, if you go to Matthew chapter 17, it's on page 1,528, um, the chapters leading up to the transfiguration, the chapters 14, 15, and 16 of Matthew, I'm just going to give you a summary of what Jesus and his disciples have been up to. So Jesus has just gone on a healing and miracle working rampage. He is just one thing after another, like a good rampage, you know, healing pe person after person, um, engaging with these people who've been marginalized, giving hope to people who have no hope, um, his disciples are seeing it. They're engaging with it. People know Jesus. Um, this isn't the first time that they've uh, talked with him or heard of him. So Jesus is just, you know, doing his thing that the people expect. Our Messiah is here. He's saving us. He's healing us. He's engaging with us. Um, and they're excited. Peter also has just had a breakthrough um, with identifying Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus praises him. He's like, good for you, Peter. This is not made, made known to you. God made this known to you. Um, you didn't know it just like by being human. Um, and so Peter's probably, you know, like strutting around like, yeah, me and Jesus are on the same wavelength for the first time in a long time. Um, so, and I relate to Peter so much in the Bible. So um, Jesus has also started to prepare his disciples and his followers for his death. So he has been thinking about this for a while, but they are literally starting the journey back to Jerusalem, and Jesus knows what's waiting for him. So as Jesus is doing all this healing stuff, people are like, his, his disciples are probably like, great, he's doing what he said he's going to do. Um, we're grooving, we're coasting. This is what he was, is here for. This is never going to end. We're at our peak. And Jesus is thinking, this is the beginning of the end. And I can't imagine what it would be like to know that you're going to be dying soon and know that it's not going to be a comfortable death. It's going to be lonely and it's going to be tragic and unjust and all that. So keeping that in mind, that's what's happening in chapters 14, 15, and 16. And now we're going to jump to chapter 17, um, 17, verse 1 through 9, and I'm going to start reading there. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, 
there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here, and if you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, excuse me, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So, Jesus is taking a couple of his close friends, a couple of his close mentees um, up the mountain to pray. And as I was reading more context of this, um, Jesus is wanting to pray, wanting to get away from the crowds, wanting to get away from the whole group of disciples. Um, we also read in other passages, there were probably a lot of women and kids that followed Jesus around too. So he was just kind of taking a break and he wanted to pray. Um, it's believed that Jesus is seeking answers. And I love this so much because this is one of those texts where we're like, well, I just wish we knew like what Jesus was thinking or what Jesus was feeling. Jesus is in anguish right now. And this is not a passage that we read that we're like, oh, he's like crying so passionately. It's tears of blood. Jesus is seeking answers, not with his disciples in mind. He brought a couple of them up there. I don't know to wrestle mountain lion if got dangerous or something. I don't know. But he is seeking answers for himself. He is seeking God, and he's seeking peace and time away to, like, get his thoughts in order. He knows what's coming. He knows that this is not easy. And I think Jesus being human is wanting to ask God, are you sure that I have to go do this? Are you sure? I'll do it, but are you sure? Are you 100% sure? <laughs> So he set out to find out if he was really doing the will of God. But knowing Jesus, who is fully God, he was set out to do the will of God, not his own will. So I think it's one of those moments in life where you know what you're supposed to be doing, and you're like, but are you sure, God? Like, come on. This doesn't make sense. I trust you, but are you sure? And, like, you just keep asking that. We see Jesus' human emotions play out here. Jesus did not seek to understand his own thoughts or the thoughts of others. He wasn't asking Peter what he thought. He wasn't taking uh, James and John and Peter up there to be like, okay, guys, like you're my close friends. What do you think? Which is fine, and I think Jesus probably talked about some things with them, but he wasn't seeking that answer from his buddies. He was seeking that time alone with God. Just a thought as I was processing this, I asked myself, how often do I approach God the same way Jesus did when he was uneasy about his future? And I know some of you are like laughing because you're going through this right now. And um, I went through it last night as I'm overwhelmed with the thought of bringing a child into this world. And I'm like, I've never done this before. Um, and you think about all these like life events you've had where you're uneasy about what's coming next. And there are some moments in life you're like excited for it and you're like, this is gonna be great. 
like I'm being helpful or this is something I look forward to. And then there are things that you're like, I don't know what this is. This is probably going to be real rough and I'm not looking forward to it. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Are we bringing it to God and are we processing it like Jesus was processing it? The most important part of chapter 17 is Jesus seeking out God. I believe that that is the most important thing that we're supposed to take away from it. When Jesus was unsure, he went to God. He didn't go to anybody else. He went to God. But I do want to talk about the significance of Moses and Elijah being there. Um, When I've read it in the past, I'm just like, cool, like pillars of our faith are showing up when Jesus is on this mountain. That makes sense. They're like heroes for us, you know. These two showing up in this raw moment for Jesus symbolize something really significant. If you go back and read how each one of them died, it's super lonely. Like, super lonely. I know, right? This is why I couldn't put it down. I was just like, yeah. So Moses and Elijah each died in very lonely ways. They weren't surrounded by people they loved. It was just like, this is the end. And when we read about them talking to Jesus, like they showed up um, in verse 3, just then they appeared before Moses and Elijah um, talking with Jesus. And it's believed that they might have been talking about, you know, trying to encourage Jesus like, hey, it's going to be a lonely death, but you're not, like, you're in good company, like, we're all going to die this lonely death pact kind of thing, which is sad to think about. But at the same time, I think Jesus needed the reassurance that you're not alone. People have gone through what you've gone through. Um, People believe in you. This is why you're here. Um, Moses showing up symbolizes the law. So when we think of Moses, we think about the law of Moses. We think about Um, the Ten Commandments, we think about this is how you live and serve God if you are his chosen people. You set your life apart, you follow these rules, um, you don't live like the rest of the world. Elijah showing up symbolizes the prophets, um, those that came before Jesus saying, you know, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, prepared now, He's coming, that kind of thing. In them combined, them showing up together, all history rose up and pointed Jesus on his way. So when Jesus talks about um, in the New Testament, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. In this moment for Jesus, it's confirmation that he is fulfilling God's will, that the old way of life, these laws that we are to follow as you know, God followers, and then all the things the prophets have said, things that Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, Amos, you know, all these prophets that they've said, it comes crashing together. And when Jesus is asking God, are you sure I need to do this? Are you sure you want me to do this? Your only son, you're sure that I need to go die. I'll do it if you want me to, but I need reassurance. And Moses and Elijah showing up is just confirmation to Jesus to say, you are doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like, take heart. It's not going to look pretty. We both represent lonely, just a life that just fades into 
life, you know, existence basically fades into death. But you're not alone. You're doing what God is calling you to do. So take courage. And all of history rises up to point Jesus on his way. Their appearance signaled to Jesus, green light, keep following what God's asking you to do. It's also really cool to talk about the spirit of God that was there. Um, my dad's a, is was a science teacher, a biology teacher. And it's really cool, instead of getting freaked out by the science of things that we see in the Bible, like, no, it's God. It's like, but it's also science. Like, this is how this works. Um, the cloud that appeared on the mountain um, is a familiar symbol of the spirit of God dwelling with his people. So if a cloud shows up, like, we should get excited because that means God is there in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So when the cloud showed up, it was either symbol, symbolizing to the people, um, I'm going to give you direction or I'm with you, um, or also, like, guiding them. So, like, guiding them in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God would come in the cloud and can kind of consume the temple, or it would guide them from place to place once the cloud moved. That's where we need to move as a people group because God's on the move kind of thing. Um, and in the New Testament, when Jesus is here, the Spirit of God is with all of us um, guiding us. When God spoke, that was the final and official seal that Jesus had the approval of God, that he was doing the right thing. So, and then I just love the prayer that Seth had, and I wish we could pull it up, but um, talking about how Jesus led them down the mountain, led the disciples down the mountain after he had gotten that reassurance, that peace he needed, that, okay, this is going to be very hard, very lonely, um, but I'm going to do what God is asking me to do, and I'm going to follow that call. Um, he didn't just like leave his disciples up there. He didn't just like float down the mountain and, you know, he's like, don't talk about this. But later on, we're going to read here in a little bit, um, Peter's takeaway from that experience. Jesus walks with us. He shows us how to live in relationship. He brought his disciples back down and they continued on the way, their way to Jerusalem. This spiritual experience for Jesus was less about what the disciples would experience and more about what Jesus would experience. And I can't tell you how, how many times I've just kind of thrown my hands up in situations and been like, well, what would Jesus do, like for real, in this situation? I just wish they would show his emotion. I just wish they would show him as a human. This text makes Jesus more human to me than I have like ever read about him before because he experiences doubt you're like no not Jesus yeah he experiences like loneliness and probably depression like how would you not be depressed knowing you're gonna die soon and knowing that all your fr friends are gonna leave you knowing that your family's already abandoned you knowing that you're supposed to be doing something but nobody else agrees with it like Peter keeps saying no Jesus over my dead body are they going to take you and Jesus is like stop you're distracting me you're tempting me I know what God said and I know you're trying to be a hero and a bro but stop um, his doubts and questions kept him seeking God though and God made it clear what he wanted Jesus to do so 
I think in life, a lot of times we have our doubts and our worries dictate our next steps in life. Like, I'm worried about this. I need to research this. I need to talk to this person. I need to go here and here and here. For Jesus, when he was doubting, he just went to God and said, what do you want me to do next? I'm going to trust what you say. And, you know, in this moment, it's really cool that God shows up in very um, tangible, physical ways for Jesus and that reassurance. And sometimes on earth, we don't get that reassurance. Like in the um, Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is crying and he's praying, take this cup from me. That's not when God is saying, this is my son whom I love and giving him that reassurance. He's not showing up in tangible ways where Jesus is able to escape for a little bit longer or his disciples are there to like defend him. God isn't always going to respond in that same way, but it's cool in this story that we're talking about with the transfiguration where God does say, you are doing what I asked you to do. And he's making it clear to everybody around saying, this is my son, listen to what he's saying. Giving Jesus more authority even than um, a couple minutes before that. So here's some good news and some takeaways that we have today. First of all, God loves you. We see it when he affirms his son and when he encourages him to do the right thing. How many times have you seen a parent give in to their child's worries and removes the obstacle that's in place to help the child grow? God didn't take away the obstacle in front of Jesus, but he encouraged him through it. The Spirit of God is with us. You don't have to be Jesus or a hero like Moses and, and Elijah, like a pillar of the faith, or even a close disciple of Jesus for the Spirit of God to point you in the right direction. Just seek God with his will in mind. Second piece of good news, doubt is okay. If Jesus could feel doubt, worry, fear, sadness, depression, loneliness, angst, I think it's okay when we experience it. Jesus went to the best counselor of all with his doubt. He went to seek answers and reassurance from the one that formed him in his mother's womb, the one who ordained him for the work on earth, and the only one who truly knew what he was going through. And after spending time with God, Jesus had the encouragement and the peace that he needed. I am sure he was not dancing down the hill like, I'm following the will of my Father in heaven. No, he knew what he was going to. It's okay to still be sad. It's okay to still be somber, especially knowing that the next step in your journey with Christ is lonely or tiresome. But he was ready to obey. His mindset was healthy, so it's okay to be sad, but also to be in a state of health. That's okay. God gave us these emotions. But he trusted the faithfulness of God, and even if things weren't comfortable or convenient, he knew God would still be with him, and that's the reassurance he was looking for. The last takeaway is you will be a witness. Your life is a testimony to others about your relationship with God. Others are watching you. Reachway kids are watching you. Others see how you, how you take this Jesus stuff and apply it, or don't, don't apply it, to your life. People know if you're making things up, 
or if you're drawing from an empty or shallow well, or if you're giving them the real thing. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21 says, and it's on page 1,894, 1894. says, for we do not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were witnesses to his majesty. He received honor and glory from the Father in heaven when he, the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message of something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for the prophecy had, had never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this is Peter's interpretation of what he saw on the mountain. So when Jesus said, don't talk about this until I come back, until I'm um, risen again from the dead, Peter's talking to a lot of people and is saying, we heard for ourselves, God affirmed Jesus. It wasn't through the law, it wasn't through the prophets, it was through the Holy Spirit affirming Jesus. And you would do well to listen, is what he's saying. People wanted to know the truth about Jesus, and his disciples were witnesses to what happened to Jesus. Not only that, but they took it upon themselves to encourage others to keep seeking the Lord. So, like Seth said, when you want to grow, where do you go? This message can apply to you in a couple different ways. Number one... Um, where to take your doubt. And we all go through this, so nobody is exempt from this. We all have doubts and we all have questions and concerns um, that we want to bring to God. Well, we want to bring to the closest person to us, but we should be bringing it to God. Um, I know for me, journaling has helped. It's been a really cool experience to journal since I was in fifth grade to present day and to see that God didn't strike me down when I was like, what are you doing to me? Um, or why is this happening? Um, he, he, he was just there. He helped me through it. He gave me scripture that I was able to hold on to through those really dark moments of life. Um, where to take your doubt? Find a pastor. There are a lot of pastors in this church. There's a lot of people that you've grown up with in this church or family or new, you know, family that you can talk to about it. Jesus, God created all of us to live in community, and it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, what is God saying to me right now? I think he wants me to do this, but that doesn't make any sense. And everybody at work that I talk to, thinks it doesn't make any sense, but I think he's calling me to this. Find a support group, whether that is a coworker, whether that is a family member or somebody even from another church. Like, we are the, the body of Christ no matter what church we go to. Find somebody that you trust. Find somebody who's genuinely seeking the will of God 
and ask him. That's okay. Also talk to God. So if you're experiencing doubt or if that's something that you're dealing with lately, this message can apply to you in that way. And the second way is asking the question, who should I encourage? Others might be facing some life challenges. How are you going to be a Moses or Elijah or Peter to them? You are a witness. God is the ultimate encourager and encouraged Jesus on the mountain, but also Moses and Elijah were there. Peter was there to encourage the new church um, in Second Peter and Acts and all of that in the New Testament. And, and, and when we're singing about give me eyes to see your glory, give me eyes to see your wonder, give me eyes to see at the end when we do our prayer to seek those who are hurting, who needs encouragement? It could be the smallest thing. You don't have to say, like, you're going to die a lonely death, but I'm going to die one too. Like, that's, you know, that's situational. But what mom needs encouragement? What single dad needs encouragement? Which coworker that you are like, I do not want to talk to them? Give them a, just a little something. Hi, how are you? I've been thinking about you this week. It's really good to see you. Like, that can change someone's life. What encouragement does somebody around you need? You are a witness to Jesus. 